Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, my name is Egypt Sherrod, and welcome to The Better Buy. Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Egypt Sherrod, co-executive producer and host of HGTV's Critics' Choice Award-winning show, Married to Real Estate. Egypt is a real estate broker, designer, author, life coach, coveted speaker, and the CEO of two companies, Indigo Road Home Furnishings and the Egypt Sherrod Real Estate and Design Group. She and her husband, Mike, also co-host the popular Marriage and Money podcast. Hello, Egypt. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for having me. So your first foray into real estate was at age 22 when you flipped your first property. And by 34, you had flipped more than 42 personal properties and an additional 67 with partners. That sounds about right. (laughs) I mean, that is so mind-blowing. Over 100 flips in a little over a decade, truly staggering. What first drew you to flipping houses? Well, I grew up in a family of real estate brokers. So I've always known that real estate is the foundation of wealth. I just ran very far away from it. Like many people run away from the family business, if you will. So when I did start making money in my radio career, which is a career that I had for almost 20 years before I retired, I knew I had that sort of little devil and angel on my shoulder that said, put it in something wise, put it in something that's going to make money for you and passive income. At the time in Newark, New Jersey, they were offering what was called a dollar house program. And this has often happened around the country historically when I guess they're more dilapidated homes than an area can handle. And they want someone to come in and figure it out, fix them up, populate those areas. And so I heard about it. I took full advantage of the opportunity. And my first investment property was a multifamily Afterward, it just continued because I got bit by the real estate bug just as much as I'd gotten bit by the radio bug. And I recognized quickly that in some capacity at that time, I wanted to be in real estate. Wow. And how do you go about identifying a good candidate for house flipping beyond what you mentioned in Newark, New Jersey, the dollar house program? Are there any go-to aspects of a home that make it a great candidate to flip? Well, number one, you got to look at the market. What is happening in the market? Is it a seller's market? Because you don't necessarily want to get into a house or a property and work on flipping it for months. If you turn around and now we're in a depreciating market, which is called a buyer's market. So for the past, goodness gracious, it feels like almost 15 years. Now we have been in a situation where it's been a seller's market. Now it's fluctuated with ebbs and flows, but 
historically gone up. So it's been a good climate. The problem now that we're having is a shortage of housing inventory as a whole across the nation. So when you have that, not only is it hard for home buyers to locate and actually pursue purchasing a property, but even for investors, because there's just too many people in the market doing the same thing. And so you have to recognize when the opportunity is even there. And so generally, I look for a home that is dilapidated where I can make improvements in neighborhoods that prove the value is there. So you've heard that term, buy the ugliest house on the nicest block. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of truth to that because otherwise it's an uphill battle. If you're buying the nicest house in the ugliest neighborhood, it's going to be hard for you to sell it no matter what you do with it. Right. And have you regretted investing in any of the houses you've bought over the years? Have there been any missteps or were they all profitable? I have definitely had missteps, for the most part profitable, some maybe not as profitable as I had anticipated up front. I consider something a success when my formula works <laughs> because time is money as well. Your investment of time and efforts and energy and resources translate into money as well. And so if I calculated that I was supposed to get $80,000 off of a flip, and for some reason I only wound up getting 40000 then you look at the time spent and say, well, was that a success? Would I have done that again? Maybe, maybe not. And are there any main reasons why certain homes that you've invested in went overlooked by other people trying to do similar things? Do people fixate on surface-level things that can be easily fixed, or are there any other common mistakes people make? A little bit of both. So when I first started in house flipping, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. There was no HGTV with a million flip shows and we didn't have social media where people could find the formula and be encouraged by others. And so it was the type of thing that was a little bit proprietary, if you will. So there were people who would just see a home and not have vision and not understand the how-to, and so therefore would walk away. There were also investors who maybe felt like this is going to cost more money than I can bear, and they didn't have the know-how or the bravado <laughs> to take it on. So usually what I look for, if I come across a property, my husband and I, because we do this together now, but by the way, did I tell you that I met him in the flipping world. You know, he was my contractor. So I've heard the story and I love it. I love that he fell for you at first sight and you were like, hold on a minute. I need a year. <laughs> it was a long story, but ultimately we're in this together. And when we're looking at a property, what we place more weight on is the amount of time that it's going to take us to actually get it market ready because the real estate market can change for the positive or negative, hopefully positive. But when it's negative, time is ticking and it's not on your side. So we consider how long we actually have to be in the space. We consider the things that we cannot change. Can we realistically expand on this floor plan and find the value in the property? Can we add additional bedrooms and bathrooms here? Will it even be permitted? And if we can't change those things, we may walk away. Some of the material deficiencies of a house that one wants to be cautious of is does it have a black mold issue? Because remediations really range in cost. It could be a $6,000 remediation. It could be a $26,000 remediation. So that's something that you want to take in consideration. Do you have to replace the roof? That's a big ticket item. Foundation issues are often ones that we may stay away from. It sounds like inspection is probably a very key part of the process. Do you have someone you trust on that front whom you always use? 
as a real estate broker, it's my job, I think, to be a fiduciary for my clients. Therefore, that means to stay in the know, build relationships, make sure that I have a list of references for the best. So I absolutely have a ton of inspectors and contractors and like I said, married to one. But what I would recommend for the average person who maybe doesn't have that list of resources is whether you're an investor or a home buyer and you're hitting the market, you make sure that you find a real estate professional who's going to be your quarterback. They're going to be the person recommending and referring resources to you. So you want to vet your real estate professional the same way you would maybe vet someone who's going to watch your child, a nanny, because it's the most important process and purchase potentially that you're going to make. And as an investor, you want to make sure, especially if you're an investor who's in from out of state, because investors are crossing state lines and just looking for the good deals, make sure they're a market and industry professional. And how do you think our listeners can train themselves to see a house for its potential, like you've described, versus its current state? Watch HGTV. (laughs) That's what I'm supposed to say, right? I think, again, there are many tutorials that you can plug yourself into to learn how we qualify properties in the first place. But you start evaluating the cost from the outside in. So number one is figure out what the ARV is, the after reno value. And the way you do that is by pulling comparables in the area of similar homes of what this one will compare to once you're finished with it. So if you know that at the end, it's going to be a three bedroom, two bath, what are three bedroom, two bathrooms, approximately 1800 square feet when they're finished actually going for? So if you have that, now you want to back out what they're asking, what your acquisition costs are, and then what the cost of renovation is actually going to be. And so as you drive up to the property, does it need extensive landscaping? I mean, is the property literally a jungle? Is it, you know, does it need a new roof? Do you need to do something to the exterior facade of the house as well? Is the driveway cracked beyond belief? If you've spent your renovation budget, before you've ever gone in the door, just walk away. Because if the numbers don't work, neither do we. Right. You mentioned Mike. And of course, you're doing something you love with someone you love, which is, I think, a lot of people's dream. But we were also briefly touching on your love story. I'm wondering if your approach to choosing homes to purchase and invest in is more skeptical than his, and he's more of the type to jump right in, or are you really aligned on that front? No, you've hit the nail on the head. I am the one who puts it through the ringer and the process and crunches the numbers. My husband goes in and evaluates the work that needs to be done. And his thing is, yeah, but I can do it. I can fix it. We can fix that. We can address that. We've done that before. And mine is, but should we? (laughs) Should we realistically or should we move on to the next? Right now, you know, we're working with a lot of homeowners and his renovation business. And so the formula for that is a lot different because you really can't put a number on a quality of life for people. And with more and more people opting to stay put and not necessarily trade up or invest up, they're opting instead of flipping to hold their properties because interest rates have gotten so high and inventory so low. Or if they're living in it, instead of trading up and finding a bigger house, instead they're expanding on their current homes for the same reasons. So that's our market and that's who we're specializing in right now. And that's what you can find Mike and I doing on Married to Real Estate, our show on HGTV. What we're finding is the formula for flipping just is completely different when we're helping clients expand on the value of their home that they're deciding to stay in. 
And there's a difference, I would think, between house hunting to flip and house hunting to live. Yes, absolutely. You don't have to necessarily find the profit margin when you're going to live in the property because hopefully it's appreciating over the years and that's your profit margin. But it's still got to work because what you never want to do is over renovate for the neighborhood. And then one day when you do sell it, you're in a hole. Right. And your clients and fans are said to expect tough love with a hug from you. Can you tell me what that means as it applies to real estate and renovating? You know, someone dubbed that years ago on me when I used to host Property Virgins. They said, she's tough, but she's sweet. And I like that because I really do have a big heart. I'm like a Cadbury egg. You kind of appear tough on the outside, but gushy on the inside. I want everybody to win. I want everyone to experience success and feel fulfilled at the end of their transaction. But when you work with clients, sometimes it's like banging your head against a brick wall because you're giving them the knowledge and sometimes they don't want to hear it because the heart wants what the heart wants. So I got to lead with tough love in those circumstances. And I like it. <laughs> Look, call me what you want. Just spell my name right. <laughs> <laughs> what is your best advice to couples who are intent on finding their dream home? What even is a dream home? Everybody's dream is a little bit different. And that's often an uphill battle. Because people don't believe you when you say, okay, you're a first time home buyer. You think you're moving into your forever home now, but I promise you, you're not. Let's figure out what you need for the next seven to 10 years, potentially. And what that'll do is open up the inventory for you and it'll help with your budgetary concerns. When I tell people that, they're often like, what, what do you mean? I'm not ever moving. And then I get the call sometimes in four years. Egypt, you were right. This is too small for us. It doesn't work or we thought it would. We're ready to move. In which case, if you're really looking for what you believe your forever home is, try to mitigate that a little bit. Unless, of course, you're an empty nester and this is your last home and you know you're downsizing or moving to where you've always wanted to be. If you're a first time home buyer, even second time home buyer, at least entertain the possibility that there's going to be another move and let some pressure off of yourself as far as having to find the forever property. The other thing is, what is your forever home? If you can find the location you want and potentially the size you want, then you have the opportunity to improve upon it and aesthetically on the interior, make it your dream home. So that's another way to look at it. In that vein, what are some of the lower lift, more cost-effective ways to refresh a space without doing a hardcore renovation? Well, it depends on what you consider hardcore, Melanie, because like, <laughs> give me an example. I want to make sure because everybody's definition of hardcore renovation is different. I would say walls coming down got reno. Does that help? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Floors coming up. I'm thinking hardcore renovation is you just added 3,000 square feet on the back of the house, <laughs> you know, or you added a level up on top. How about we'll define it as working with the space you have versus adding additional square footage. And not taking out walls is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I guess hammering down a wall isn't, I've seen my husband do it. Didn't look that hard. <laughs> well, and by the way, guys, don't just go take out a wall because a lot of walls are load bearing and actually structurally supporting the house. So you want to make sure or maybe get a structural engineer to come out and look if you're going to take a jab at it. And I say that because they watch us take out walls all day on television and think it's that easy. We know in advance what walls can come out and which walls can't. Identify the load bearing walls. Yes, for sure. indeed. 
indeed. But if you're going to attack a renovation on the surface level, mean beautify it, right? Like maybe you are taking off backsplash and countertops and you're replacing them with something more upgraded or replacing kitchen cabinets. You, you know, you're fine. You don't necessarily need a permit for that or painting your current kitchen cabinets, refinishing hardwood floors, updating a bathroom, but not changing the footprint. Because if you change the footprint, then you have to address the plumbing and electrical and all of that sometimes. If you keep the same footprint, maybe you're replacing the vanity, the tile and the toilet and you're updating that. Do you know what I mean? So that's what I would consider as like a low level, modest renovation that anyone can really attack. We'll be back with more from Egypt Sherrod after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier, and today I'm speaking with Egypt Sherrod. What would you tell someone grappling with the decision to rent or buy? <laughs> well, I would say sit down and do your monthlies because that may or may not answer the question for you. Perhaps you don't qualify to buy. Well, keep on renting and work on it and get your financial picture together. But if the cost of renting is exceeding the potential for you to be an owner, well, then why not own? Seriously, otherwise you're paying someone else monthly. You are living a rented lifestyle and you're fattening someone else's pockets. So I definitely think even if you don't plan to live in the unit or you have a job that requires you to be transient, so you're afraid to buy because you think you might have to move, well, buy the house now. You can always rent it out. There, again, is a shortage of housing inventory. And so even renters are abound. But why not allow someone else to potentially pay off a house for you with their rental income? It makes sense to have at least one property, you know, as an owner. For sure. I have to tell you, I watched the video recently on your Instagram, I believe, where you're hiding under the covers <laughs> because two of your kids are begging for your attention simultaneously. And you say, dad doesn't even seem to be in the kid's vocabulary. This resonates with me deeply. I've often wondered if my kid even knows she has a dad sometimes. <laughs> Why is it always me? I think it's just so easy. Mom rolls off their tongue. Easier it must be easier to say. But I'm wondering how motherhood has shaped your approach to what you do for a living. Well, let's just be clear. I was hiding from my kids that day. <laughs> I had mommy overload, right? But I love being a mom. It is the best gift and best job that I never knew I wanted. I would never trade it in. At the same time, it's utterly exhausting. But... <laughs> I have three girls, one that just graduated college, magna cum laude. I'm very wow. proud of Simone. She was my bonus baby. Then Kendall's 11 and Harper is four. She was my surprise little miracle baby. So they all are at ages where they need something different as a human. And for whatever reason, they look at moms like super people, like we have superpowers. So to them, we don't need rest. We don't need food. Right. We're just there for them and they're every beck and call. Yeah. And so every now and again, yes, I run and I hide. Oh, me too. And then I try to remind myself that 
one day it will stop and then I'll be sad and look back on those times. Right. I'm grateful for it, but you got to allow yourself to breathe. But as far as your original question (laughs) and how it's sort of molded and shifted my career, it has caused me to really be intentional about every career decision I make and the amount of time that I have to invest in it because what I'll never get back are these years with my kids. So whatever I do, it has to have a value proposition for me. It has to have a win, be flexible so that if I need to go run and grab one of the kids or have to do something, I can do that as well, which is why I love my career of real estate and I love design. Often I'm working with families who get it and they're like, just bring the kids or do you mind if we bring our kids to the design meeting? And it's all great. It really Mm -hmm. is. And speaking of design, you've said that it's your mission to prove that luxury, comfort, and sustainable design can coexist. But my question is, what if that perfect mix seems to lie outside of a couple or a family or an individual's budget? What do you recommend in that case? Well, I think it can always work in any budget. I'm a real estate broker. I'm a designer, but truly behind it all, I'm an engineer. I'm engineering a lifestyle for the client based upon their budget. And yes, sometimes the expectation of what they believe they can have for that budget is what has to be reset. (laughs) But my furniture line and my wallpaper line is called Indigo Road. And I named it Indigo Road because I believe that there's a design road for all of us to travel. And part of building that line out was me really choosing and curating pieces or finding pieces from Bali, Morocco, India that were beautiful, unique, were elevated in fashion, but at the same time, we sourced them in a way that could be cost effective so everyone can have luxury and comfort no matter what your budget. I like that. Is there anything that couples should expect from undertaking a renovation in terms of how it might impact their relationship? Okay, so therapist is another thing I'm adding to my (laughs) belt. (laughs) Let me tell you something. The hardest things that you will do, number one, have children, potentially buying a house, getting married, getting divorced. Hopefully nobody's going through that and going through a renovation. Let's add that and underline it because the idea of it and what your house is going to be is beautiful. And that's what you're focused on. But often people discount the process, the breakdown. I've even had clients cry once they've walked in and everything has been demolished because they didn't realize how emotionally they were attached to something that they really told us they wanted to take out. And then it's like, but where is my sink? (laughs) And you're like, in the dumpster where you told me to put it. (laughs) Wait a minute. Maybe we shouldn't have taken out those floors. They had a lot of character. Okay. But the goal was we're taking them out and we're putting in blonde, wide plank, 10 inch floors here. Not to mention self-doubt that people really go through, which is, should we really be paying for this? Can we really afford it? Even after they've gone through the budget and signed off and everything, they go through this emotional roller coaster that I recognize is going to happen even when you have the strongest of personalities. Right. So I'm prepared and equipped. I'm ready for the meltdowns when they come in. And then I'm also ready for the tears when they come in and see it all completely done because they've reached the finish line. They're so happy, so proud of themselves and sorry that they ever doubted the process. 
I was going to say, I'm sure all of the fear subsides as soon as they see the finished product. <laughs> There's course. nothing like a reveal. If only we could all just click our heels three times and go from here to here. But there is a process in between it. We can't discount. What have you learned about life more broadly from being a real estate guru? Thank you for calling me a guru. I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize you I reached guru status, but thank you. <laughs> wow. Here's how I look at life now. And I'm very proud of reaching this. I think everyone defines success differently. My definition of success right now is peace and joy. So career-wise, I'm still very focused in accomplishing my goals, but the way I'm going about it is different. It shouldn't be a push-pull. You shouldn't feel heavy when you wake up in the morning and go to work or go to sleep at night. If you feel that stressed and are that unhappy, maybe you're in the wrong line of work. And there was a point in time in my career at different points where I thought maybe I was in the wrong line of work. And then I realized I had to go through a shift. When you change your mind, it really can change your life. Mm -hmm. And instead of approaching things begrudgingly, I got in the spirit of gratitude. And when you live in the spirit of gratitude, more flows to you. You're saying, yes, maybe this isn't perfect or I'm not having the perfect day, but I'm grateful for the day that I have. I'm grateful for the amount of clients I have. Find something, you know, a gratitude practice, three things to be grateful for today. Because when you do that often, it really will shift your mindset. And that's how I live now. People ask me, Egypt, show me how to create multiple streams of income. And I say, first, let me show you how to create multiple streams of joy. Because that's the most important. I like that a lot. How do you create multiple screams of joy? It's me asking. <laughs> Listen, the first thing is to make sure that your expectations are fair and reasonable of yourself and of the world, because mm -hmm. things are going to go wrong. You are going to get stressed out. It really is going to happen. You're going to feel like you're not aligned anymore and you've fallen off your rocker in your lane. It is about a constant reset process and discipline and activity to make sure you stay grounded, both feet firmly planted, you're breathing and you're practicing your breath work so that you're staying present in the moment that you're in, not living in the future, not living in the past, that we're forgiving others and we're forgiving ourselves for missteps and taking constant inventory of our feelings, our emotions, because our body's a vessel. It's this living, breathing thing that you've got to stay in tuned with so you stay in your body. But then also letting go and letting God is a huge requirement, meaning that you've got up, you've given it your all, you've approached everything with the best possible attitude and spirit, you've given gratitude, and then whatever's going to be is going to be and be okay with that afterward. That helps you just kind of, you know. You really do need to add therapist to your bio. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. I feel calmer already. Thank you. Thank you. What do you think the biggest misconception people have about a real estate career is? I think they believe they're going to get their real estate license and then they're rolling. That's not how it works. So you get your real estate license. And now the real education begins. Being out in the actual world, you need to potentially find a mentor or get with an experienced agent who can teach you the ropes, the unsaids, the off textbook things about real estate. But also, you're going to have to build your sphere of influence, which is your potential draw of where your clientele is going to come from. If you don't have a sphere of influence or you haven't taken the time to build relationships and actually let people know, this is what I do now. I'm a real estate agent now. It may potentially be tough for you to get clients, right? 
And so that's why we often tell real estate agents, you may not have a closing for six months when you first get your license. So do you have a nest egg? Are you prepared emotionally and mentally for that? Recognizing that perhaps your first six months is more about tutelage, education, setting yourself up for success. Hmm. If you could give one piece of advice to new homeowners, what would it be? Set aside an emergency fund (laughs) for something that is inevitably going to happen or go wrong. The difference between renting and owning is you can just pick up the phone and call the superintendent or the landlord and say, I've got a leak, send someone out and they fix it, pay for it and everything's back to basics. Submit service request. I do need that. (laughs) (laughs) So when you own your own home, you are the superintendent, you are the landlord, and you're the one who has to make the phone calls and cut the checks. So what you want to do is just make sure that you have a little buffer fund set aside for maintenance of the home. Mm. Well said. I think it took me two years to learn that. (laughs) And then it makes you less mad. Honestly, when you do have that budget set aside, it makes you less upset when things do go wrong because you're prepared for it and can therefore accept it a little more easily, I find. Yeah, I think also if you just set a regular maintenance schedule of your property, knowing that you're supposed to get your gutters cleaned at least twice a year, if you live in an area with a lot of trees, maybe once a quarter, a little bit more, that's something. Recognizing that unless you have a brick or stone house, you may have to paint every seven years to make sure that it stays updated and maintained. If you have a brick or stone house, you might want to get it power washed, roofs. If you live in an area with a lot of more moisture, where algae grows, you want to think about having to soft wash your roof, Mm. get the HVAC serviced on a regular service schedule, hot water heaters serviced. These are the maintenance things. If you live on a property that has a septic system, and let's just say that the septic system is for a four bedroom house, but you've added two bedrooms. Well, you're going to have to get that septic system, number one, cleaned out. They say usually every two to three years, but now get it cleaned out more often because you have more bedrooms and more bathrooms. Ah, That's a math problem I doubt many people do. Very important. (laughs) Yeah, these are the problems we run into. But, you know, the best way to address our hurdle is not to have to jump over it in the first place. Great point. Now, I'd love to wrap things up with a quick round of word association. So very simple. I'll feed you a word and you just reply with whatever comes to mind immediately. Okay. Passion. Purpose. Motherhood. Love. Mornings. Hate them. (laughs) I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. Success. Ooh, that's a good one. So many words. Joy. And time. Money. Well said. Egypt, is there anything we didn't cover that you really wanted to speak about today? No, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you for having me. We are so grateful that you were able to make it. And it was a real treat. I feel like I learned a lot and I'm absolutely positive that our listeners will be thrilled. Thank you so much. I'm honored and grateful. You've been listening to The Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Be sure to follow The Better Buy on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. You can also find us online at bhg.com slash thebetterbuypodcast. And make sure to come back next week for more. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm Calvin Lamont, and we're from the hit HGTV show, Buy to Build It. 
I'll see you then.